What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Real Psych. I am Dr. J.D. Barton, and I am a licensed clinical psychologist. And I am Dr. Joanna Witten, and I am a cognitive neuroscientist. Real Psych is your favorite podcast where we share our gorgeously thoughtful opinions on the psychological phenomena playing out in all of your favorite movies. J.D., will there be learning? Girl, yes. Will there be science? Absolutely. Will there be delightfully informal, explorational, informational conceptualizations from two best friends who would be talking about this anyways? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Probably. I don't know. Ugh. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm doing uh, okay. I'm doing busy. I'm doing real biz. Yeah, biz.com. Biz.com backslash uh, psychologist. <laughs> I love that for you. Yeah, I'm doing biz.com, um, but it's going, it's it's going good. That's great. Yeah. So things are things are, are trucking right along for my summer. How are you? I'm good. I feel like we're are we halfway? We're more than halfway through with summer, right? I don't know. It's like depressing. Yeah, we're like getting very like August is next week. Yeah, August is now. <laughs> So right. August is now, everyone <laughs> who's listening. Uh, for us, August is next week because we like a- record these intros before we record the the main, obviously. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's uncomfortably hot. There was just a heat wave in New York. Mm-hmm. That souked for my, like, very active pit bull husky lab dog who could not go outside. Like, oh, yeah. Did not even tolerate it. Um, so that was, that's been fun trying to get his energy out. Get it out on account of chill. Yeah. My sister's dog, uh, that she got two years ago is, uh, a a bit of like a, he's a boxer and he's kind of like a a very energetic, tough, Mm -hmm. tough puppy. 
mm-hmm. in that uh, he just has a lot of energy and she has, you know, a 13 year old and a 10 year old and is busy and is one of those things. And so they bought they got their dog a dog this week. I uh, that's so smart. I've been wrestling with that. And there's all those funny TikToks about like, I got my dog a dog, but then yeah. my dog's dog needed a dog. So I got yeah, them yeah, a yeah. dog. I know I've been thinking about it, but Huey is is not like uh, he's has socialization issues, so it would have to be yeah. a really specific fit, and it's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. I will say when I so my I used to have greyhounds, uh, like retired racing dogs, and my uh, first one had really really bad separation anxiety because yeah. um, they're very easy dogs, y'all. If you're thinking about adopting one, they're the best, but. She had never been alone. She was like four and a half. She'd never, ever, ever in her life been alone, mm-hmm. ever. And then I got her. And so every time I left, she would cry. And it was this whole thing. And everybody's solution. And I was very overwhelmed. And everybody's solution was like, you should get another dog. And I was like, I cannot have two hard dogs. Like, it I was just, like, yeah, I it does not seem like you could take that risk because it, it was so hard as it is. It seemed like so much yeah. to do. And your dog has legitimately like has special needs like your dog yeah. has very specific needs yeah um he is not uh a low maintenance little little schmoodle yeah. yeah um yeah and so uh f- with my greyhounds i did get a second one but i waited it like two years until it was like all right i got this one on lock like this right. feels easy and then i got a second one and it was honestly amazing and it was great and wonderful and and it was even better than just having one um yeah, when I met you, you had both of them already. Yeah, in, and they in were the most chillest, beauteous, yeah. wonderful little puppies. They were sweet little little babies. Yeah. I have a tattoo of them, and I love Yay. them very, very much. Um, I was just thinking about them today and what it must have been like to like come over to my house and just have these two like sphinxes just kind of like walk up and like yeah. not care that much that you're there, but these sort of like non-barking, just sort of like staring supermodels who then, like, Macon wouldn't even get out of bed sometimes. She would just, like, look up and then be like, mm. right. and well, then just Ella, lay back down. Ella, Ella would, would come and say, hey, I want She would pets. put her body against you. Yeah, she would just lean. Mm-hmm. Ella was my girl. I had her for 10 years almost. And Crazy. When she died, I was a mess. <laughs> I was I a sappy little disaster. <laughs> oh, gosh. She was uh, a good dog. That yeah. was a good dog. Yeah. I love dogs. I love uh, dogs, too. My current dog right now, like I just sometimes stare you have at her. lucked out. I got re- you've. I mean, you've spent a good amount of time with Gordy. My my dog is a literal angel from heaven. I actually, she is. I don't believe in meant to bees or supposed to bees or any of those things. Um, but that dog, I I was supposed to get a tiny little one, not that tiny, but like twenty five pounds. And mm. then my dad died, and like days later like two or three days later the the breeder that i went through i went through a breeder it was covid all the shelters were empty <laughs> but um the breeder no that judgment. I was going through i was on a wait list and the breeder posted on instagram and was like or these giant ass ones are available right now and i was like give me that dog and i got this dog <laughs> and i gotta say like it has been there there have been very few tough days even through puppydom um i just got really really lucky with just a real chill sweet little angel baby Mm, love her gotta get her tattoo next yeah yeah all right should we talk about this movie let's like watch a movie or something are we so in sync (laughs) all right so this movie is uh from the year 2000 
18. So we're Ooh, keeping so in we're, this yeah. recent. I almost went back in time and I was like, you know what? No, I'm going to stick with this recency. And the tagline for this film mm-hmm. is the only thing crazier than love is family. 2018. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's a word in this tagline that is particularly important. The okay. only thing crazier than love is family. Crazier? Uh-huh. Is it animated? No, it's live action rom-com. I'll give you... Uh, there's one yeah. more tagline that's available, but it's, like, so obvious. Okay. That you're, like, you're just going to have it. Do you ready for it? Sure. All right. Well, Joanna, these people aren't just rich. They're crazy rich. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy Rich Asians. This is a fantastic pick. Oh, I've definitely been like, this has been on my short list a bunch of times, but it's like a real Constance Wu moment, right? It's a real Constance Wu moment. I I just felt like we just did her last week. Uh, Let's do her again. Let's bring her back. I mean, this is a good movie. This is a really good movie because there's a lot of family dynamics and there's a lot Class. of family dynamics. You and I were just having a conversation that I was like, ooh, I'm so glad we picked this. Just based <laughs> on our own personal lives that should totally. be aired for everybody. But, you know, send some DMs if you want to know more. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so uh, this is just w- – we've talked a little bit about some of these dynamics, some of these things. Um, but there's so much in this in this movie. There's, like, you know, intercultural experience. There's intersectionality. There's family values. There's – wealth there's you know socioeconomic disparity there's you know internationality there's Mm -hmm. also just like it's a really beautiful movie it's gorgeous everybody's seen it so hopefully everybody will be excited to talk about it with us but i just think um you know there's a lot this movie is is making a lot of points it has Mm -hmm. a lot to say Mm -hmm. um and it really really had a lot to say in the moment it was a really groundbreaking film um the scary thing is like the only ground it broke was just featuring Asian actors. <laughs> like, yeah. Which, like, woof, that should not have been groundbreaking, but it was. And it was also a huge, huge, huge success. So in that mm-hmm. sense, like, you know, it it did uh, shake, uh, shake up white Hollywood to be like, oh, strange. I guess people other than white people exist in the world, which is fascinating considering just the vast majority of the planet are uh, Asian-identified people. Well, it's money talks, right? Because it's not yeah. its not just that. It's like, oh, and they can bring in money like through the box office, right? This can be a success. And that's when people start paying attention. And that's when people, yeah, that is what the, the white cis men who hold the keys to the kingdom uh, care about, is what's exactly. going to make us the most money for our giant studios. Uh, although any of those white cis men who make all the money and have all the keys to the kingdom, if you want to hire... Joanna and I as diversity <laughs> consultants on films, would psychological consultants, we would be thrilled to help you. That's a whole like, uh, what, plan B, plan C, plan something career. Well, that's plan A. <laughs> that's like this whole like uh, alternate universe career that I dream about sometimes. Yeah, that'd be a fun, it'd be a fun little gig. Yeah. Um, Don't worry, y'all. I, I like being a therapist way too much to leave that, but. I'd be thrilled to give a, a day a week to, yeah. uh, to consulting on films for, you know, a few million a year. <laughs> and that <laughs> way good I to can me. be a crazy rich gay man. Also, we say this as 
I don't know if you notice. I don't know that we have ads anymore. I, who knows? <laughs> we may be because uh, I think last week we were like, we'll be right back after these ads. And there were no ads when I listened to it. <laughs> well, oops. our wealth is uh, taking a dip at the yeah, moment. It's ups and downs. It's the it's inflation, y'all. Yeah, but don't worry. By the time y'all are listening to this, our ads are back. Yeah. Um, and uh, and yeah. So should we? With that, should we give them a nice little commercial break? Because <laughs> right there's here. definitely gonna be an ad. So you just sit tight. Sit tight. Enjoy. We will be right back. Right back. Bye. Bye. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. It's so it's, good. It's like such a beautiful movie. It's like, like just visually. Visually stunning. Stunning. Yes. Yeah. It's a visually gorgeous movie. Um, it's so like joyful. It's such a, like a romance. Like even just that wedding. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about it in the synopsis. Um, we did want to address sort of one thing as we get started in this, um, which is this is a movie that the entire lead cast are uh, Asian identified, Asian American, or you know, Asian international. Uh, neither Joanna nor I hold those identities. Um, and we thought about this in terms of like, oh, should we be talking about this movie? What should, be we, what should we be doing? And we kind of found ourselves in a place of like, it feels worse to not include these incredibly important, well-loved films um, just for the sake of being like, well, that's not our identity. So therefore... right. It doesn't belong, or, you know. It's not. It, it's not appropriate for us to put it on the podcast. Yeah, and I think that doesn't preclude, or like, you know, we want to have guests with varied expertises, and um, you know, there are plans to do that with people who have different types of identities. Um, but I don't think that should, like, we shouldn't have to wait for that. Maybe, yeah. like, that shouldn't preclude us from choosing these films. Um, you know, if if we think that you know we can be open and honest and, and try to have a conversation about it and also right. you know just name that yes these this film like encompasses uh or you know is about identities that we yeah. don't we can't um like claim but i think it's still important to talk about and it's important to talk about and we do want this podcast you know, to feel like a dialogue, not yeah, just between it's a the two of us, but between us and those listening. And so if we get something wrong or if we overstep or we say something that feels a little oops, ouch, yuck, whatever, please, 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 please let us know. Yeah. Um, as Joanna said, like we are working to bring in other experts with different identities and different areas of expertise. But, you know, uh, 
you know, everybody isn't, you know, an expert on everything. And, right. uh, and so, um, you know, we're going to talk about what we know. We're going to talk about, um, you know, in the, in the research, um, I did a lot of cultural specific research and I, you know, chose articles that are only written by Asian identified folks, either Asian Americans or Asian from other nations with other mm -hmm. national identities. And so like we're doing our best and also like, I, uh, I'm pretty excited to talk about this movie yeah, in general. There's so and much to, to discuss. There's so much to discuss. Um, so, Joanna, what the hell happened in this movie? Okay, so, super cute. So it starts with this couple, um, Constance Wu's Rachel Chu. Rachel Chu. And Nick Young. Not of the Taiwan Plastics Chews or the Malaysian <laughs> yeah. Packing Peanut Chews. <laughs> right. Right, and they're in New York City. She is an economics professor oh, wait, at missed, NYU. Oh, you missed the intro. What intro? The hotel in 1995. Oh, my goodness. It's yes. such a good scene. It is such a good scene. It's like, big mistake, huge. Big mistake, huge. It's totally a pretty woman <laughs> scene. So the very first scene is actually in London in like 1995 or 96, um, where you see Eleanor Young mm -hmm. uh, and Alex Young, her uh, sister-in-law, and their two children, Astrid and... Uh, oh my god what's his Nick. name Nick Nick and Astrid and you see them uh, in this hotel walk into this hotel in London and they are immediately racist did mm -hmm. they get racist did mm -hmm. uh, and they won't let them into the hotel and they say like you know maybe you should go to Chinatown right. and they react and respond to this by buying the whole hotel yeah which is so baller such a serve yeah i mean it's totally a big mistake huge and then by the end of that scene she looks at the man and says there's mud on the floor clean it up and like gets to like be, she's his boss now exactly um total serve now cut to cut to 2018 yeah we're in new york city we see rachel Yu, who is a economics professor just kind of like rachel killing Chu. it dang it <laughs> rachel Chu killing it as an economics professor Nick Young, who is just loving her and they're being cute. Yeah. And then... Oh, yeah, game theory. That's right. We mm -hmm. get this great game theory scene. Yes. And she establishes herself. Then she's right. on a date with this hot, hot man. And they've been dating for about a year. He talks about, you know, taking her home to meet his family in Singapore. And then you see um, some people kind of, like, discreetly taking pictures of Nick. Like, you get the sense that he is a big deal. Mm-hmm. And so word kind of travels back to his family uh, in Singapore that he's planning on bringing uh, his girlfriend home. And it kind of causes this whole stir. His mother calls him immediately, Eleanor, and mm -hmm. is like, so are you bringing someone home? And is kind of like immediately not super welcoming. Like, oh, we're, right. you know, your room is ready for you, but we're renovating and, and we're not ready for guests. So your friend might be more comfortable mm -hmm. at a hotel. So it really does not start off great. Right. She's um, already unwelcoming. And she's already insisted when the women bring it up in her Bible study that he's dating somebody. She's like, he sees many women and sort of like dismisses yeah. the possibility that Rachel could be someone important. And also this has all happened within the span of like seconds. They're talking about it in New York and he gets a phone call from his mother like two right. minutes later. Right. Because as he says, Radio One Asia. Mm -hmm. um, and he decides to bring Rachel home to his best friend, Colin. Uh, to his wedding, where he's marrying Araminta, Colin and Araminta, and they get to the airport. And there's people who, 
you know, ready to take their bags, bring them their first class, and Rachel's kind of confused. Like, she has absolutely no understanding of how right. wealthy Nick is. They get right. to this redonkulous, uh, suite, or, like, first-class yeah. cabin. Airline suite, um, yeah. And uh, she's really, like, confused. And, you know, he says, oh, we're comfortable, which she <laughs> makes a funny remark about, like, only rich people say that they're comfortable, yeah. which is actually a similar line from Hustlers. Totally. When she when she uh, is asking Julia Stiles and Julia Stiles says, "Oh, we're comfortable. We were comfortable. Uh-huh. I was we comfortable." comfortable. Um, so that's funny. But anyway, Rachel responds r- very well and says, "Listen, it's not a big deal, but it's weird you never told me this." Right, right. Which I think is the appropriate response. It and is, says, and it's it's. I think of my family's money as their money, right, and not as my own. Right, and I think you kind of find out later though that that's there's a reason why he like didn't want her to know right um because he but, hates women <laughs> no because he is so his identity is so tied into his wealth and his status He's so well known in and in asia to have someone exactly to have someone who isn't aware of that felt so refreshing to him that he could felt just known for who he is and kind of even develop that sense of identity mm-hmm. for himself yeah. It was a little bit selfish because she was thro- she is thrown into this world of like luxury that she had absolutely no idea. I mean idea. just extreme wealth. And these folks yeah. in this film aren't millionaires, they are billionaires. Mm-hmm. Like they are massively massively wealthy. So they get to Singapore um and they're immediately picked up by uh Colin and Araminta. Um, his best friend and his best friend's fiance. Who the, and they're the two, lovely. Who they're and they're so lovely and they're very casual and they go to this like street market and eat all this food and it's very like of the people. Yeah. Uh, and even like Araminta and Colin look like they just got off a backpacking trip. Like they yeah. are dressed down. They're totally casual. And, um, you know, Araminta says to Rachel, like he's really serious. I think he probably like he really loves you. Like that's why he brought you here. He really, really loves you. And so they mm-hmm. have a very cute sort of make eye contact kind of moment. Rachel's feeling very like loved and whatever. Um, and then the next day, uh, she goes to see her best friend from college, Paiklin. Mm-hmm. And Paiklin uh, is played by Aquafina. Brilliantly. This was a, a career making role for Aquafina. This mo- this this role. Um, she did it right around the same time that she did Ocean's Eight. But this really, like, was yeah. huge for her. Yeah. And uh, Faiklin, uh has a big family that are also very wealthy. She comes into their huge, you know, gold-gilded home. Yes, they're uh, very new money. They're very new money. Uh, and essentially, her dad is played by um, Ken, Ken Jeong. Yeah. And, you know, they're quite a funny little, like, comic relief kind of family in lots mm-hmm. of different ways. And... Um, it comes out when she says, oh, I'm here, you know, I'm here for my boyfriend's friend's wedding and yada, yada, yada. And she says, uh, oh, who's your boyfriend? Like, maybe we know him. It's a small island. And she says, Nick Young. And they, like, all, like, like spit, spit take. take. <laughs> yeah, fully. And she's like, what? And she explains that, like, she's basically dating Asian Prince William, as they say. Mm-hmm. I think that's, like, the line. Something I'm paraphrasing a little bit. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, like he, their family are mega rich. Everyone knows who they are. He's the, the most wedding. eligible bachelor. The most eligible bachelor in Asia, basically, mm-hmm. is what they're saying. Um, and this wedding is like the most exclusive wedding 
of the year. Like it's mm-hmm. the most exclusive event the of the event. year. Mm-hmm. She's going. Which cost it's, like $40 million or something. Yeah, they say that yeah. at the end. It was 40 million. Yeah, 40 million. And she says, no, we're Methodists. The most we can spend is 15 million on a wedding. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, the, uh, and so then they go and she's like, you cannot wear this like gap dress too. Which is a super cute dress. But yeah, she was like, was absolutely not. Because there was a party. At, there's a party this night, that night at his grandmother's house. Um, who's the matriarch of the family. Mm-hmm. And so she has to dress her. And so she puts her in this, like, stunning, stunning gown. What is it, like, uh, a 70s disco glam, but, like, in a good way? Yeah, 70s disco Cleopatra is what Cleopatra, yeah, but, yeah, like, in a good way. disco Cleopatra, but in a good way. Um, and she styles her beautiful. I mean, she looks incredible. She, she looks drives amazing. her to this event. Um, Paiklin gets to come. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, they drive into this house and it is so secluded. They can't, they think they're lost, which like for those who know anything about Singapore, it's one of the most expensive cities in the world. And they not, they have so much land that in the car, they think they are lost. Like that that would like, it's like not on the GPS. That would be like somebody having a quarter mile long driveway in Manhattan. Right. You'd be like, I'm sorry. What? Like it just, (laughs) the amount of wealth. Right. Um, and so they get there. Um, he, uh, they have a very nice like hero shot of him like walking out of this mansion, this like giant estate, uh, to come and greet them. Um, he's very attentive to her. He's very sweet. Um, brings her in and introduces her to mom. It does not go well. It does not go great. I think immediately like the friction is is due to cultural differences because the uh rachel's talking about you know she followed her passion she's a professor which like you know just as an aside like is a super impressive career and like she is just such a catch in in so many kind of and and i guess you know we're using like our own Mm -hmm. ideals to Mm -hmm. to measure that against but you know she's very intelligent very capable um and eleanor is kind of like turned off by the kind of American ideals of following one's passions instead of following a sense of like familial duty, basically. Yes. Yeah. She immediately hugs her, which is a total boundary violation. (laughs) She, you know, is already, she also is like notably in this scene, like doting on Nick, right? Oh, you look tired. I'll have them make you some herbal soup, which by the way, I want herbal soup. Yeah. She says it every time she says it. I'm like, that sounds amazing. Yeah. I want herbal soup. Yeah. Um, I got to find a recipe for herbal soup. Uh, We'll do it on the Patreon. We don't have a Patreon. Um, But uh, yeah, so she is really doting and then sort of already sort of rebuffs Rachel by saying like, um, you know, oh, to to pursue one's passion is inappropriate and selfish, basically. Right. Um, It's very American. Very American. How American. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's what she says. Uh, Michelle Yeoh, by the way, plays his mother. Unbelievable. just, Just... Nails I love it. her. She's an icon. Uh, truly. Um, pretty soon we're going to do another Michelle Yeoh film, and I can't wait. Heck, yeah. Um, and so she uh, then goes through the rest of this party, kind of stumbling. Um, oh, simultaneously we have met his sis- or his cousin, Astrid. Mm-hmm. And Astrid is in a marriage that is a little strained. Astrid's very wealthy, and her husband, Michael, um, is trying is struggling with his own sort of worth and value because she's such a wealthy heiress um that she hides 
her money and she you know he's trying to build a company and he really doesn't um he feels very burdened by her sort of yeah it almost feels like a foil or like a cautionary tale um because you know she marries outside of her class right um, because he's like ex-navy and is yeah. you know, like a tech guy um even though you know they have a beautiful apartment and stuff it's definitely a source of tension between them. Yeah. And I think it really is juxtaposed by like what you're seeing starting to happen with Rachel and Nick yeah. as Rachel is really understanding the disparity. <laughs> yeah. The film also uses a device that is just always a dead giveaway, not to spoil all movies for you ever, but if as soon as a spouse or partner comes home, they take a shower. Oh my God. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't sure. Okay, so here's here's something on that. I wasn't sure if that was like a cultural difference, um, or if that was like cheating. Because my first thought was exactly that was like, oh, a cheater. Um, oh, and I mean, the just first because time I saw it, the movie, yeah, I and was, just I because just because that's what eventually happens. I don't know if that's like a cultural thing or not. I mean, I think for the service of the film, I mean, he is very hot, so it does like serve the film to show him like showering a bit, mm-hmm. which they do. I think it's a pretty like safe to say, but no one else showers in the film. Yeah, I guess. But yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I was my first thought as well. Right. Was. Um, yeah. So we are at least Joanna and I. Granted, we're doctors, so we're very, very perceptive people. <laughs> um, we were worried about Michael from jump. Okay. Heck yeah. We always knew he was a scoundrel. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Um, I mean, we are synopsisizing the whole movie right now, so literally all spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> anyways, so at this party, you also see Michael have some struggles with one of the cousins who sort of makes fun of him a little bit. And his, yeah, there's like, a lot of obnoxious wealthy people in this family. Also, while at this party, uh, she is working really hard to take care of him, and he's on a phone for a work thing, and she brings him food because they're clearing the plates, and she mm-hmm. brings his favorite foods. And then when he goes up to go to the bathroom, um, she sees on his phone that he has a text that says... Um, I'm, the bed feels empty without you. Right. Uh, and she immediately knows. Uh, yeah, she, it's, obviously. it's pretty obvious. <laughs> I mean, you know, she's she's starting to suspect that something's <laughs> going on. Um, yeah. She's got an inkling as well. Uh, but no, so she knows something's up. So at this party, Rachel sort of steps in it in a few different ways. Um, she the, the One of the worst of which is she goes up, she meets an older woman and says, like, grandmother, it's so nice to meet you. Thank you for inviting me to your home. And she says it to who she who she then finds out was his former nanny. Mm-hmm. So it was the help. Mm-hmm. And, and the room kind of sees it. And she just feels, Rachel feels on display. She feels very stared Everyone's at. Everyone's staring at her, yeah. Everyone's staring at her. Um, and this is this grand party where they're there just to watch, I think it's called that Tonghua Flowers? Uh, something like that. They're yeah. beautiful. Yeah, I apologize if I am obviously unsurprisingly uh, just bastardizing uh, the language that I do not speak. Um, <laughs> but so these flowers bloom only once uh, every so often, and they bloom at night. And so it's a party to view these flowers at night in their unbelievable, like, aviary or whatever. Yeah. Like, it's a crazy setup. She meets the grandmother, and the grandmother's actually incredibly nice to her. Mm-hmm. And you see Nick's mother be yeah she's not happy about that yeah grandma is not happy and so she she pulls rank she she pulls rank and she lets rachel sit next to her and like Mm -hmm. really 
um, does the thing. We get a little more background story to hear that like Nick is the favorite. He's like in line to inherit everything. His cousins, other than Astrid, are all kind of dumb assholes. We get some like background on them, which we're not going to include in this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next day is Araminta's uh, and and Colin's bachelor and bachelorette parties. Mm-hmm. So Rachel has been invited to this bachelorette party. She shows up as they're like they both they show up in an airplane hangar where the women are going to get on a private jet the men are going to get on helicopters to go out to a barge in international waters so that nothing is illegal (laughs) and and araminda's like mother rented out a whole island or something rented out a whole island um so she gets fake friended real quick by somebody who seems nice and smart and not so shallow and whatever there's like shopping sprees and spa days and this woman sort of uh becomes a friend and then really gets under her skin yeah um, reveals herself to be an, a former an a former, former flame yeah and the one that the family thought would be an appropriate match for him her mother right. is very good friends with all of the other mothers like and mm-hmm. she's the lawyer she's the general counsel for the um the young corporation mm-hmm. um or the young whatever she's foundation, saying, the young foundation or estates or something um, but so that happens and she runs back to her room and crying after this and bumps into Astrid, who's also not thriving. Yeah. Uh, and then they, she sees a, a gutted dead, a dead ass fish. That's a dead ass fish. Um, <laughs> like a catfish? In her bed. Uh, it's like a barracuda. It's Ugh. like a huge, and it says, catch this, you gold digging bitch. Right? Is I mean, right? I, yes. And I feel like they... <laughs> brush over this and like this is the most horrifying thing oh terrifying i can't believe i mean and rachel doesn't want them to know that that they've She's gotten shaken. to her yeah. yeah so her and astrid kind of just clean it up bury the fish call it a day but she is shaken and she is upset um yeah. and she kind of bonds with astrid who even like um regardless of her personal life at the moment seems to not really get along with this group of girls like in general yeah um or just you know just have different values yeah and they set astrid apart right from the beginning where Mm -hmm. she's going into this like her her intro scene which we skipped is her walking into this jeweler and this wealthy mother is ignoring her child who's Mm -hmm. trying to show her something and show her something and astrid like the whole room looks at her when she walks in and she walks up to this little girl and she gives her attention so we're the very first thing we get is a of all you're super chic b of all you're super kind and then she buys some earrings for 1.2 million dollars and we're like c of all you are crazy rich (laughs) like you are so (laughs) rich um yeah so we already know like astrid's not like those other girls right um, she's different. She's special. Um, and so, yeah, Astrid it helps her. And then they also have a talk, and Astrid shares that she knows that Michael is being unfaithful. Mm-hmm. Um, and Rachel is there for her. And they mm-hmm. have a, a sweet little connected moment. Yeah. They come home from this trip, uh, and Rachel sort of confronts Nick and yeah. is like, you really left me out to dry here, man. Like what? Like totally just not given any heads up whatsoever about anything. No heads up is also just like, she's just like, people are all staring at me and you didn't, like you didn't warn me. These women are terrible to me. There was a dead fish. And he's like, is that all? (laughs) 
Right, and he like, and that yeah, um, and then he does have a nice correction. He goes, sorry, please tell me that's all. Like, yeah, and like, now um, you can tell that you know he really cares about her, and he really you know they there's a lot of love there that's genuine, but he is definitely not doing like he's not supporting her the right way. He is not supporting her the right way. And it's also the thing of, like, I got this a lot with some of my friends in high school with, like, some of the, the mean girls where my friends would be like, oh, she's so mean. And I'd be like, what do you mean? She's always really nice to me. Like, right. And she would be like, yeah, she's nice to you. And right. I, and he gives sort of that energy where he's like, oh, you know, whatever. And I think right. it's easy for him in this case to feel this because he feels unwavering in his love for her. So he's mm-hmm. like, it doesn't matter what other people say. I love you. I choose you. We also found out on his side of the bachelor party that he has an engagement ring. Right. Um, his bachelor party's messy, uh, <laughs> but not in a way that affects the plot. So we're skipping it. Yeah. Um, and then she kind of like is like, all right, fine. Okay, fine. Let's go make dumplings with my mom. Mm-hmm. So they go to make dumplings with the whole family. And in this they have a, a conversation a little bit where Rachel sort of shares like her mom she was just her and her mom and she never had a big family like this and how it's really nice to see everybody sort of coming together mm-hmm. um, you know it's just her and her mom in in, uh, in China we know that her dad died uh, before she was born right um, and so her mom immigrated to the US uh, and and so it's just been the two of them her whole life um, and so she loves this big family and she leaves the table to go find the bathroom, and Nick's mom comes Truly, up to her. Truly uh, doubles down, yeah. And, and, and really says, you know, um, she shows her her engagement ring, and she says, you know, this, this ring was not the ring that I was supposed to have, but my mother-in-law, Nick's grandmother, wouldn't give my husband the family engagement ring because I wasn't good enough for her. And Rachel says, like, you know, but she 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 came around in the end, and Eleanor is like, it took incredible sacrifice, yada yada yada, and she was right to be concerned. She mm. was right to be worried, and you know, only now do I understand that. And then she sort of pushes. She doesn't push her down the stairs. She sort of up, walks up to her. So Rachel has to walk backwards down a step, right. and says, "You will never be enough." Yeah, and you see some like insight into Eleanor's journey which is right like what you said of of the grandmother not approving she even um sacrificed like her own relationship with Nick because she sent him to live with the grandmother so that he would be the favorite yeah Um, she she, gave up being his primary guardian basically so that the grandmother would like him the most and therefore like her right and and her child wouldn't have to suffer for you know the fact mm-hmm. that the grandmother did not approve of his mother and so you know she she talks about the sacrifice the not working she went that you know they met at oxford she was on her way to a law degree she dropped out because mm-hmm. she prioritized mm-hmm. this family and right you know and the Rachel futures like of her the children exact opposite yeah of that, right Rachel exactly is a professor at nyu she's quite successful and ambitious um, and you know mm-hmm. and so i think that's really where the Eleanor is coming from and kind of saying like, I know what it's like to not be enough and what it right. takes to be enough. And you will never, you like, you will never be enough yeah. because of your values and, and what I, you know, what she sees. 
And so she, yeah, and she tries to sort of share that with Nick, and Nick is sort of like, oh, she's tough, but she'll come around, but here's all the things that she sacrificed for me. And also right. kind of leaves her, I, I don't think she wants to, She's she now feels in this, like, triangulation where she's sort of, all, she's like, oh, no, I can't make him choose, but his mom is making him choose, and so she doesn't want to really lean on him for, like, your mom is too mean to me, and she's right. in a weird spot. Right. She kind of feels isolated at this point. Yeah, and so she's talking to Paiklin down in the dumps, um, and Paiklin is like, you are a super smart professor of game theory. Game this woman. Mm-hmm. Like, play chicken with her. Don't mm-hmm. swerve. Bok, bok, bitch. Yeah. Um, and so she then decides to go to the wedding, uh, and they have a gorgeous little makeover scene, basically. Uh, so fun. Of just all these clothes, yada, yada, yada. She shows up at the wedding, in a Bentley, like... I mean, freaking gorgeous. In a crazy, amazing dress. Um, everybody freaks out when they see her on the red carpet, and she sort of says something rude. She, she says to Amanda, the woman who was rude to her at the bachelorette party, she says, excuse me, you're in my way. <laughs> yeah. And, like, goes past her. It's a really great, again, another pretty woman... Totally. ...moment. Uh, she goes in and runs into Nick's mother and his aunties, and his mother says, I'm sorry, our row is full. Yeah. And won't let her sit with them. And so she walks into a row that is empty, all except for this, like, princess of Malaysia, mm-hmm. I think. Is Malaysia? I think so. Yeah. A princess. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she, who no one will sit by because she's so cold. And she sits down and she says, hey, I'm, I'm Rachel Chu. I loved that article you did on microlending. Yeah, and starts talking about her work. Right. Starts talking about her work and really comes from her own strengths. And the, the woman sort of looks at her and is like, thank you, I took a lot of heat for that. And she says, yeah, what they didn't understand is that your loans help women and women lift up economies. And then she's like, what was your name again? And right. so she sort of has this ultimate serve that she's now sitting next to the princess mm-hmm. that like no one else is allowed to sit by. Mm-hmm. Um, then they have the most beautiful wedding ceremony. Uh. I cry just watching the scene. I just cry. It's beautiful. Um, The music in this movie is also really, really, really good. Yes. Um, It's all Asian artists. Mm -hmm. Um, And they do a cover of uh, I Can't Help Falling in Love with You. I don't know what that, that's probably not the title because it's so long. But I think it's Kina Grannis. Do you know her? No. So I think, I'm pretty sure that's like who they, anyway, she's like a really fantastic singer and she does a lot of covers. Um, and that they're like having her in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. So good. And so, um, they, and she sees Nick and after they've sort of had this tension, they like see this beautiful, you know, display of love between mm-hmm. Colin and Araminta who really love each other. Yeah. However, Colin and Araminta are within the same economic class. Yes. It's kind of like, uh, they love each other and both of their parents are very happy about this union. Loaded. Yeah. Loaded. Um, it's a $40 million wedding. Mm-hmm. Like, which like, when I get married, no more than thirty million. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding, I'm never getting married. Um, <laughs> anyways, so uh, so they and sh- Rachel and Nick sort of lock eyes and say I love you, like, and sort of heal a little bit of this like tension that they've mm-hmm. had, and just being like, we're gonna f- we're gonna figure this out. And she's yeah. feeling able to, you know, fight for herself in these yeah. spaces, right? She's like, I can make my way in mm-hmm. in this if that's what it means to be with him right um they go to the uh crazy reception it's bonkers um some side stuff happens but the most important thing that happens is 
uh, her mother and grandmother pull them aside Mm -hmm. and share that her mother had a private investigator look into Rachel Mm -hmm. and her past and discovers that Rachel's father um, was not dead, that he is in prison in China, Mm -hmm. and tries to use this as an example of how Rachel must be trying to worm her way into the family and right. bring shame. Um, and that she was purposely lying and purposely hiding lying. This. And Rachel is like, what? I don't know. And just, and is like, and basically as soon as this happened, Nick immediately is like, that's not true. That's not what's happening here. And Rachel is like, I don't want anything to do with you. And I mean, just this, like, this, these, they just exploded her life. Like everything she's ever known, everything she's ever known has been completely like exploded in her face. Totally. And so totally. she's, Reckoning not just with like this ridiculous family with Nick, but her own sense of identity and who she Absolutely. is. Absolutely. And I think she's just totally spinning from that. And they, they have evidence. And she's like, that's, I, I know nothing about this, right? right? And it's totally a shock to her. So she, you know, very Cinderella, leaves the, leaves the party mm-hmm. um, and goes and sort of just cries at Paiklin's house and just spends days in like that kind of depression where you just like don't can't move, eat can't do can't anything eat, can't sleep, is like lay there this relationship is over my sense of self is completely disrupted yeah totally and um yeah and so she is in full like nightmare mode um and Paiklin comes in at some point and says somebody's here to see you and it's her mom yeah. And so, and her mom, you know, tells her the story of her birth and essentially shares and comes that she clean was married. And, yeah. She was married to an abusive man. And while being married to that man, she fell in love with someone else. Mm-hmm. And that she knew that her husband would likely kill the man that she loved mm-hmm. uh, or her even mm-hmm. if he found out. And so she chose to just leave. Right. She left the man that she was in love with. Uh, and fled. And so the easiest story to tell Rachel was just, and she knew that it would be unsafe even to probably try to contact that man that she loved. So she was just out of there. And so she explains that like the easiest sort of story for Rachel was this story. Yeah. Um, which is, of course, as an audience also establishes that we in fact now know Rachel really truly didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and we learn that the man who's in jail is not her father. The man who's in jail is the man she was married to. Right. Um, and so, uh, she also says, you know, Paiklin didn't fly me out here. Nick did. Right. Uh, and so Rachel agrees to meet with Nick and Nick proposes. Right. And he says, I don't care about my family. I don't care about anything. I care. I need you. You're the thing I need in my life. And then the next scene we see Rachel meeting Eleanor mm-hmm. to play Mahjong. Uh, such a good scene. This scene is so good. Uh, for those who haven't seen this movie, this scene is, uh, so Mahjong is a game played on a board with a bunch of tiles, and it has a really methodical, kind of incredibly therapeutic, just like soothing way of like dividing out the tiles and flipping all the things, and they're doing this while um, two women, they're playing actually with two other women who only speak Hokkien, uh, and so they don't understand the conversation, so it's just a conversation between Eleanor and Rachel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and. Rachel says thanks you know thanks for meeting me as they start and they start playing this game and moving these tiles so the whole time they have this conversation they're moving tiles and Rachel says Nick 
proposed to me. And I said no to him. And her mom says something like, oh, I think that's for the, I, I, you know, I think that's for the best. But she um, also says, like, um, it's, it's foolish to turn down a winning hand or something. It's foolish. Oh, yeah, she does. She says it's foolish to turn down a, win- a winning hand. Thank you. I, that's the line I needed. She says yeah. it's foolish to turn down a winning hand. And she says, no, there is no winning in this situation. Right. You made sure of that. Right. And she, because she actually does love Nick, she understands the difficult position that he's in, which is choosing his family or choosing love. Yes. And so she basically is so like smart that so she smart. is playing this game and she's letting Eleanor know both through the game and through her words of yeah. like, I'm allowing you to get your mm-hmm. way. And so when mm-hmm. you're playing with your grandkids, with your like socially acceptable like oh, so daughter-in-law, that's because of me and I'm a nobody, like you said. Yeah, and everything you have 20 years from now will be because of me. Exactly. Because of a little nobody and with a single mom. You see this, uh, she, she kind of puts this tile that she knows will allow the mom to win the game. To win. Mm-hmm. And so the mom, like, you know, uh, reveals that she has this winning combination or winning hand and... Um, you know, she finished. Uh, Rachel finishes her speech, then turns over her tiles, which was the like Even winning. Better. Yeah, Even the better. entire time she's, she's one up to her, and so she is in complete control of everything. Mm-hmm. And and she says, um, for the first time in my life, I I'm I'm not doing this because I'm not enough. I'm doing this because for the first time in my life, I know I am. Yeah, and I cry. Uh, I cry. It's such a good like scene. a little gay baby. Like just completely. Yeah, served her, and then she gets up and leaves with her mom. Like gives her a hug, yeah. and her and uh, her mom walk and out her hand mom in gives hand. Such a good stare. Yeah, such a good like protective mom look mm-hmm. at this woman that is just like you. You did wrong by my yeah. child. Yeah. And I see that. I mark that in you. Right. Or this is, is you know like I'm I'm the person that you've been blowing up like. Right. Le- you know, like the person, this has consequences. Like I'm here, I'm supporting my daughter. And like, you can look me in the face when you're completely saying horrible things about me. Right. Right. And, and just knowing like my daughter did not lie to you. My mm-hmm. daughter was not coming for you, for your money, for anything. Um, and so she goes to get on the plane to fly home. Of course, like economy. Um, <laughs> and she and her mom are getting on there. Nick, jumps behind them on the plane does this very cute sort of proposal where he's trying to walk through the thing and the bins and like putting people's things away one of my favorites is he puts somebody's trying to put a bin away and she just has huge armpit stains (laughs) um but he's so sweet like he's like trying to do a romantic gesture but he's still like oh let me help you with that like he's still like very nice he's like it'll be faster if i just help you yeah just get it done also then finally he's like is it can i please do this and so he goes and he gets down on one knee and he proposes and he and he actually provides his mother's engagement I cried. ring. I cried big right. time. Right, totally. I mean, how could you not? Yeah. Um, provides his mother's engagement ring, which you now know means like they had a conversation. Yeah, and she and approves. She approves. Um, and, you know, of course, Rachel says yes. They have a cute little, uh, oh, also when they're going to the wedding, uh, Astrid breaks up with her husband. <laughs> yeah. about that part. Yeah, yeah. Astrid breaks up with her husband uh, on the way, and she says he's a coward. And then she has this great scene at the very end, right after they get right after the proposal, where she goes into the apartment, and she's like, "No, no, you stay here. 
And he like he's packing to leave, and she says, "You stay here." And he goes, "Where are you going to stay?" And she goes, "I own fourteen apartment <laughs> buildings. I'll probably stay in one of those." <laughs> and she just is like, "Oh, she I'm has so such sorry. a good line, yeah." She, that she's like, "I am so sorry. Uh, I tried to make you feel like something you aren't, which is a man." Like right. just says, "Like you are not." It's not my job to make you feel like a man. I can't That's, make you feel like something yeah. you're not. Yeah. That's what she says. Oof. Uh, such Come a, on, uh, Joanna. Yes. Chills. Yeah. Uh, and then she walks out wearing her $1.2 million earrings. Heck yeah. Looking gorgeous. This is played by Gemma Chan, who uh, is like in The Eternals. She's in Captain Marvel. She's incredible. She's in a bunch of things. She is so beautiful. I just She's love somebody her. who just looks rich. Like you just look <laughs> at her and you're like, girl, you are wealthy. And she yeah. also, uh, she has a British accent. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, she's a star. Yeah. Um, anyways, so uh, she then has this moment where she's like, you will see our son when it is good for our son, not when it's convenient for you. Right. Like, you you know, and just really like, boom, you're out. Like, yeah. Best of luck to you. Taking my life back. They go to uh, this after this like impromptu engagement party on like the most famous rooftop in all of Singapore. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like synchronized swimmers in the pool because wealth. And then uh, you see there's this great little moment where uh, Eleanor Young is there. It's a big crowd. It's a big crowd. She makes eye contact with Rachel. They connect. Eleanor nods. And then she just disappears. Like, she just. Yeah. Like, she knows she's been, uh, like, beaten. beaten. Yeah. But she's not going to stand in the way. She knows she's been beaten. She also knows Rachel proved herself. Exactly. In terms of, like, her own. She proved her motives. She also proved that, like, you know, in that she is not after their money. And mm-hmm. she also proved she loves Nick enough to give him up so that he could still have his family. Yeah. Which means she understands how important family is. Right. Um, which, again, is, according to this, like, a very non-American mm-hmm. kind of viewpoint. And we'll talk about that in just a second. But um, that's the end of the movie. Thoughts, feelings, reactions to um, this film. I mean... It's just beautiful and emotional, and there's so much. But I also, <laughs> we spent like 40 minutes <laughs> talking. No, we didn't. I think we spent a good amount of time. Oh, my God. Y'all, we are yeah. 40 minutes into this podcast. <laughs> we'll talk about research just like a little bit. But a basically, bit. this movie is really good. You know, the thing about this movie that I think a lot about, um, so I – uh, work at a university where um, the largest uh, racial or ethnic group is uh, Asian identified students, um, mm-hmm. Asian or Asian American. Uh, we have many international students. Um, and so I think about uh, Asian and Asian American mental health quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and this sort of uh, a, a, a hugely important thing that, that they talk about in this film is this sort of American born Chinese versus like first generation, second generation, like the, you know, even just a little bit of the history of like you know, wealthy people from China moving to Singapore. And so they identify as Chinese despite being in Singapore mm-hmm. and sort of this own, you know, and Singapore is its own, is a country and a city, but like people don't really identify as Singaporean and the, the sort of the, the, the vast, uh, you know, discrepancies between wealth in this, in this city. And Singapore is like one of the most expensive cities in the entire world. Um, even just to have like a car in Singapore, you have to pay like, to have like a Honda Civic, you have to pay like a hundred and twenty thousand dollar tax just to have the car Whoa. in the city because there's so much like congest. So like that is how expensive this city is to have yeah. a Honda Civic costs you one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, um, that is a twenty thousand dollar car. So Wild. 
Um, the, the wealth in this is really interesting. Um, and so one of the things that we've talked a little bit about on this podcast, especially with um, when we did Encanto, if y'all, y'all OGs who were listening back in the day, <laughs> um, is this sort of divide between um, a, really a divide of acculturation, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to talk largely about Asian American mental health today. Um, given that it's what I have the most experience in working with, but it's also what a lot of the research is in, um, especially given it's the research that's in English. So it, it makes sense, right? It is, yeah. the, it is the demographic within uh, the, the resources that I have the most access to. Um, and so this divide of uh, you know, generations, I think, is really important. You know, One of the things that I really struggle with in this movie is uh, the thing that we talked about with Encanto, um, we've talked a little bit about it because, you know, it's the thing we're seeing a lot in like turning red or in everything everywhere all at once where th- this divide, this intergenerational trauma and this divide between um, cultural values when you are uh, a first generation um, kid. Right? right. And how your parents values and experiences are so different from yours because you are of two cultures, your you're second culture kid. And. Some of the some of the folks within this community uh, who have this experience are really frustrated with a lot of these films, including this movie, because in most cases, mom never says I'm sorry, right? Mm-hmm. Mom never relents. Right. Mom does not come around. Right. And so this is a very American narrative mm-hmm. that mom says, you know what? You're right. Come into our billion-dollar family. Exactly. Um, that you know that mom in the end is like, I'm so sorry. Um, and I heard something the other day. Did I say this already on the podcast? I heard something the other day that was, um, you know, children or uh, parents wait their whole lives for their kids to say thank you, and children wait their whole lives for their parents to say I'm sorry. Yeah, I think you told me this, like outside Privately. of the podcast. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, and I think that that's the kind of thing that I think is really important to be considering just in terms of the dynamics of this film and that it is a fairy tale in the sense it that, is. sure, parents may come around, but it's the same thing as like soulmates or as these like magical romances, right? And it is a very magical romance, right? This right. movie is, is not based in fact, even though it's supposedly grounded in, you know, this hyper reality. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's really important just to be naming kind of that dynamic. Yeah, there is um, this kind of like fantasy-based uh, aspect to it that the movie's plot kind of hinges on. Yeah, the book actually. I've read all three of these books because really? I'm gay, <laughs> uh, and I love uh, romance and love. Uh, and I, uh, the books actually take a really interesting approach to this. So the book's written by uh, an author named Kevin Kwan, who I believe is Chinese American, or he's at least uh, culturally Chinese identified in some way. Mm-hmm. And Kevin Kwan. Um, uh, wrote the books where at the end of the first book it essentially ends before the second proposal. Oh, so really? So Rachel is like, fuck this. Mm-hmm. I refuse to... I re- this is a lose-lose situation and I'm out. Also, she's mad at Nick. She right. is mad that Nick did not do the fighting for her. Right. She is mad. Nick, because she leaves him, Nick stops speaking to his mother. Mm. And his mother is now scrambling is losing her mind trying to get him back. So the second book starts where Nick uh, is trying to get to Rachel. He like takes her to this like secret like island in Thailand. Um, and the mom is working so, so, so hard and uh, actually poisons Rachel. Like she hires a hitman what? who poisons Rachel. So almost, ki- and she, because she forgets to withdraw the like the hit, 
basically. Or like she can't, she tries to withdraw the hit and it's already too far, like it's too far along. Mm-hmm. And so Rachel almost dies in, in Thailand. Oh my And so goodness. it's not until I think the third book, which is the last book, that Nick even starts talking to his family again. Well, that's wild, yeah. Which, not that, not that, you know, uh, intercultural families you know this like first gen second not that mothers are murderers but this sort of divide like it is interesting that in the book the mom reacts by trying even harder to remove rachel from nick rather than um rather than yeah as relenting anyways so um one of the things i wanted to look into um are just some like base broad facts about asian american mental health um, because there's a lot of assumptions, even on our, uh, our licensing exams and things like that, there's a lot of racism. Um, mm. There is, a, on the California Psychological, um, C-P-L-E-E, California Psychological Law and Ethics exam, mm-hmm. to become a licensed clinical psychologist in California, one of the questions says, uh, basically, like, what kind of therapy do Asian-identified clients prefer? And you have to give the answer. They prefer a directive style of therapy where you tell them what to do rather than focusing on feelings and emotions. Oh, my God. That's a real question. Um, there's a whole bunch of other ones, but I'm afraid if I call them out too loud, uh, I'll get uh, in trouble. Uh, so uh, if the Board of Psychology is listening, uh, don't get bitter. Just get better. Uh, anyways, so um, I wanted to look into just some, some facts to be thinking about. So um, within the United States... Um, there's a lot of conflicts between ethnic culture uh, and and mainstream American culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, we usually think about this in terms of like individualism versus collectivism, right? Yep. Yeah. So the concept of going to therapy and talking about your family and the ways in which they have hurt you is really counterindicated, right? It is sort of against the cultural norms of a lot of people, right? This is a I I honestly see um, I I growing up in like a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant culture. We have a very similar values. I actually find uh, with a lot of my uh, Asian identified or Asian American identified clients, like s- more, far more similarities in our r- emotional conservatism mm. than, than differences. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things to, to keep in mind um, is that there's a lot of com- uh, findings in terms of the mental health status of Asian Americans. So first, uh, Asian Americans utilize uh, the mental health system in the U.S. at a much lower rate than any other demographic, with the exception of Native Americans. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, secondly, uh, those who do use services are often highly disturbed in terms of psychiatric disorders. So what that means is just the people who are utilizing the services are far more in need, right? Like it's the, the threshold. Kind of, the threshold is so high for them to reach out for services. Mm-hmm. Again, them. These are... I'm speaking in generalizations, but statistically speaking, the threshold is just much higher. So those who are seeking services are are much more um, are experiencing much more serious mental health concerns. Mm -hmm. So third, cultural factors seem to be driving this influence in the pattern of low utilization um, and greater severity of disturbance. Right, the way in which your culture talks about mental health, talks about the need, talks about what anxiety or depression means. Right. Um, and often we see this in terms of like, do, do you think that depression means something is wrong with you? And secondly, if something is wrong with you, um, is it your job to just fix it and figure it out and, and get past it? Or is it your, you know, sort of this idea of like how you engage in therapy is just a different thing, right? It's, it's a, because your, the, the collectivist view is how can I be a benefit to my community or my family? Right versus how do I take care of myself, right? Mm-hmm. And so this, this sort of self-focused thing. Um, next, 
epidemiological surveys show that rates of mental disorders uh, among Asian Americans are not extraordinarily low, right? So what we, when we actually do broad research uh, outside of who is seeking care, we discover that rates of depression and anxiety are very similar to yeah. the broader population. Um, and fifth, and this one I really think is important, so the relatively small population of Asian Americans, their heterogeneity and the constantly changing demographic characteristics of the population make it difficult to ascertain, ascertain rates of mental disorders. So the thing I like about this is that it names, guess what, y'all? Asian Americans is an incredibly diverse group of people. Totally. And so there is actually, um, what they find is there's far more variety within the, the label of Asian American than there is between Asian American and other cultural identities. Yeah, I mean, this is true with Latin America too, right? Like Latin Absolutely. America is like such a broad umbrella. Such a broad you know, dozens of nations and national cultures, dozens of, you know what I mean, so many, yes, it's so, so, so broad. So what's really important and why I, why I land on this, especially as I talk about the first kind of thing, is like, so when we're talking about the idea of Asian Americans here, there's so much more variety within group mm-hmm. that it, it's often not so helpful to be totally differentiating these things. That is not to say that it is not important to be studying this. And again, I only use studies that are, um, conducted, written by uh, Asian-identified or Asian-American-identified researchers. Yeah, you know, this also, and I think you did some research on this too, but obviously this is an even more pressing and, yeah. like, uh, concern given COVID, right? Exactly. Yes, I love that you bring that up, Joanna. <laughs> so um, a lot of what we're thinking about in terms of Asian-American mental health lately is specifically due related to um, COVID-related hate, COVID-related discrimination. Um, and so uh, in a study in 2021, um, 68% of Asian American young adults reported that they or their family had experienced COVID-19-related discrimination, and approximately 15% reported verbal or physical assault Ugh. related to COVID-19. Um, Increases in COVID-19 related discrimination were significantly associated with increased levels and symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder uh, among Asian or Asian American young adults. Mm -hmm. And identification of mental health symptoms and dissemination uh, and provision of culturally grounded PTSD treatment for those uh, who are Asian or Asian American young adults uh, is an urgent need, right? And so see earlier thing that we said, right? Uh, Asian and Asian American folks in this country are less likely to seek out treatment, which means we are now having this rough situation where people are at much more increased risk and at probably lower rates of seeking service. So this is a huge need and really, really important that people be, you know, mindful. Um, And one of the big things that sort of informs some of this impact Um, And so there's another study they looked at uh, in terms of the trajectory of racial discrimination um, and through a concept of what's called racial and ethnic socialization. Mm -hmm. So level of acculturation, hugely important here, right? Um, Folks who are second, third generation Asian American who identify primarily as American and less closely with sort of this historical, racial, you know, ethnic, cultural background. uh, have, have different outcomes. So this is a study, uh, a longitudinal study of 786 Filipino-American and Korean-American youth uh, in the Midwest, which I think is incredibly important. Uh, th- I, I think that was a very smart 
uh, way for them to position the study in that these are not areas with hugely vast, um, you know, Asian communities. Mm -hmm. So what the study found, it confirmed that discrimination increases and significantly contributes to the upward trend of mental health distress, right? Unsurprising. Mm -hmm. Discrimination equals distress. Exactly. Um, however, the impact of racial and ethnic socialization differed by type and by ethnicity. So within this, actually, the study found that the promotion of mistrust and ethnic heritage socialization were protective for Filipino-American youth. So distrust of the mass culture was a protective factor. Interesting. For, for Filipino-American youth. However, for Korean-American uh, youth, preparation for bias was protective regardless of nativity and gender. So what they're essentially saying is um, that, that the mistrust, uh, it, starting from a place of mistrust, was helpful for the Filipino-American youth. Uh, and then studying for understanding of bias and sort of giving them skills weighed out everything else for the Korean-American youth. Interesting. Yeah, which, uh, so a lot of folks, um, as we talked about the vast diversity of Asian-American identified folks, there is also a huge socioeconomic disparity and diversity. There are, um, you know, different Asian identities come with different levels of social privilege, mm -hmm. cultural privilege, often financial privilege, et cetera. Um, and so most specifically, um, and we see this in academia where there are certain Asian identities that are very underrepresented right. in higher education and certain Asian identities that are, quote, overrepresented. And I put that in quote in that, like, listen, yeah, <laughs> I'm that's not a saying nonsense, there are too yeah. many. In the same way that, like, you know, cisgender heterosexual folks have an overrepresentation. Actually, gay people have an overrepresentation in higher education. And that overrepresentation just means it is different than the population as it lays out. Exactly. Um, so there's an overrepresentation of queer folks in higher education. Um, so there's an overrepresentation of Japanese uh, American, Chinese American, and Korean American compared to the whole population in higher education. And there is a, an underrepresentation of just about every other, oh, I also believe Indian American um, in higher education, and a lower representation of just about every other Mm. Uh, Asian um, ethnic group national identity. Gotcha. Um, so what these studies are really trying to do is just consider the ways in which social positions impact your psychological adjustment, your psychological understanding, and to name that, like, the diversity within folks, like a one-size-fits-all, like, quote, Asian-American, as the Board of Psychology would say, a very directive therapeutic approach is most helpful, right. um, which is so nightmarishly condescending. Um, uh, which, for those uh, who aren't familiar with the term directive, it's basically saying they just want you to tell them what to do. Uh, it's not great. Is that um, related to just, like, stereotypes? Like, is it just straight up? Or is there anything that it's based on? I mean, I would... So this is uh, me speculating. This is speculation. So, um, you know, some of the more directive forms of therapy are, like, cognitive behavioral therapy, which includes things like... Um, you know, worksheets or, or notebooks or things to like, you know, trackers or different like ways to like, you know, engage in these sort of concepts, this work. Um, and the, the big uh, sort of criticism from the broader ther therapeutic community is that CBT is so manualized and so rote that you miss the emotional connection. Mm. You miss a lot of the like emotional significance. And so I think that this is leaning on the stereotype that Asian identified and Asian American identified people are less emotional. Gotcha. and less connected to their feelings. 
Um, and so uh, there are other studies that show like higher rates of somatization um, within uh, actually within uh, Latinx and Asian uh, identified folks, which is essentially to say that like a symptom of anxiety is you know, a stomach ache is a very likely symptom of anxiety mm. um, in these other cultures, which again, depending on your culture's sort of fluency in discussing emotions and the willingness uh, to engage in that, I'm, it makes a lot of sense that folks uh, experience their anxiety not as sort of a cognitive anxiety, but as a physical anxiety because right. it is easier to sort of contain, understand. Um, it's it's just sort of a translation into a different part of your body. Interesting. Um, does that make sense? Was I, I mean, yeah. Although I think when I think of like uh, across like all of Latin America and like Asian uh, countries, that's like half the world. Oh, like I the, mean, Asia is almost fifty percent of the world population yeah, on its alone. own. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, it might be. Yeah. Um, it's quite. I mean, Brazil's very big. And the U.S. But it's has not. A I don't think people. it's a. It's nowhere near billions. Um, no, no, no. Um, I think the U.S. is the third most populous nation with three hundred and thirty million. So it comes after India and and China. Okay. Um, in that order, the, although the fourth most populous is uh, Indonesia. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Which is also the largest uh, Muslim nation. So just to speak to like the diversity of Asia, right? Like Indonesians are almost entirely Muslim and it's not that's not a religion that we associate stereotypically with Asia yeah that's super interesting um, mm. so my research is a very different direction great um, but it is related to the movie which I guess is good uh, but no I really <laughs> focused on um, like uh, evolutionary perspectives of mate selection Okay. As it refers to like both an individual's um, uh, selection of their spouse versus parents' uh, influence over their child's spouse, so like oh, okay. in laws, yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. And so I came across this researcher. A po- a, uh, he's from. He's an associate professor of evolutionary psychology at the University of. Nic- oh my God! I can't pronounce any of these. Nicosia in the Republic of Cyprus. Apostolou, oh, right. Apostolou is his last name. All right. Oh, man, I'm butchering that. Um, but basically, it's this really interesting evolutionary, evolutionary perspective on the preferences that parents and offspring have in terms of, like, mate selection um, okay. as in-laws and spouses, respectively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love an evolutionary perspective. Yeah, it's so much. super interesting. So, you know, there's kind of overall there's a co-evolution for both parties to um have a preference for like people who are overall acceptable to each other because of these Mm -hmm. certain checks like Mm -hmm. you know parents can threaten resources and support right in order to influence a child's choice which we see in this film yeah um but children can also divorce have extramarital affairs uh, that can threaten the integrity of, of the parent's choice, right? So, mm-hmm. like, even if the parents choose uh, a spouse for their child, they can still be very unhappy and, quote-unquote, like, unproductive unions if mm-hmm. they divorce or, you know, uh, have other, like, have affairs. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also some evidence to support that women have evolved to be more sensitive than men to their parents' approval of their spouses. So a lot of this 
a lot of this research is based off of just like really old school ways of um, parents, like like arranged marriages mm-hmm. um, and dowries and things like that, um, oh, God. as well as the um, a box of gold to buy my daughter, <laughs> yeah. sell you my daughter. It's a weird. Yeah, but there's and, and this kind of concern over uh, unplanned pregnancy, essentially. And yeah. so evolutionarily, a daughter has more to lose slash gain like via child rearing resources Mm -hmm. um and so there's some evidence that they are more sensitive than men to to what their parents think or their their approval um and mothers tend to be more involved in exerting control over mate selection as opposed to fathers which we also see in this film um, well, and it, it makes sense in that they're especially, you know, if they experience that as the daughter, as the as the bride in that totally. scenario, then it makes sense that they would also reinforce it in their own, you know, parenthood. Exactly. Um, but, you know, so we see these uh, kind of like evolutionary processes, but the preferences of a parent and an offspring are often uh, what they say asymmetrical. They're not the same. Because parental fitness, mm-hmm. which is like how we talk about, um, you know, evolutionarily, like the ability to survive is like fitness. Oh, um, right. Parental fitness is not the same as offspring fitness. So that's where the conflict kind of arises. Um, and what we see through these studies, because this researcher has done like just so many studies, a lot of these are either kind of qualitative um, reports with people or mm-hmm. surveys um, with okay. just like hundreds and thousands of people. Oh, um, but my offs- <laughs> offspring, uh, or you know, like the children prefer spouses who are attractive um, and have traits what? like being easygoing and having an exciting personality. Um, but you know, there's this like this uh, evolutionary perspective by Thornhill and Gangstead physical beauty is a proxy of genetic quality. Right. Right. Yeah. And sure. So that's sort there's, of, uh, the there's, assumption. right. Mm-hmm. There's, there, this is what they think is underlying. Pretty people are healthy. Right? Exactly. Like that's the idea. Exactly. Um, and so, you know, the research supports that this trait is prioritized more by offspring than by parents because parents gain less from genetic quality because they contribute to only 25% of genes versus 50% oh of the spouse. Right. So it's like literally genetic material. They're like, we don't really care about that. The baby's um, only 25% mine. Exactly. And what yeah. parents prefer and what they prioritize over um, offspring is they prefer children-in-law with good family backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And so I think we see a lot of that in this film. And, and even like where the shit hits the fan is when yeah. she does the private investigator into yeah. her family background. Right. It's not her American values, her you know, whatever, whatever. It's the family background that even, that makes the grandmother say absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. And really that comes down to the parent's fitness because evolutionarily, and you know, when we talk about arranged marriages and stuff like that, this good family background is uh, equated to like strengthening or creating alliances with unrelated groups. Right. Um, yielding economic, political benefits for totally. the parents the directly. Totally. It's direct I mean, the, benefits. I mean, the concept of marriage is a totally economic, like to- uh, the monogamous marriage is all about economics. Mm-hmm. The, For the, the parents single, specifically. Yeah, the family are, unit, the single family unit is an economic establishment, first yes. and foremost. Marriage did not exist until 
economies existed. Mm-hmm. Actual fact. Totally. Marriage is like 10,000 years old, and it started when agriculture started, which meant I now have goods to sell. Yeah. This is the parents will profit from the provision of resources. 100%. In times of food shortages. Yeah. Support in fights and disputes. 100%. Um, and so, you know, in cultures where arranged marriage was practiced, when parents chose an in-law, they looked for an individual with a family background that maximizes their own fitness. Yeah. Um, not the fitness of their offspring. So, you know, because like kind of in support of that, across different cultures, marriage is usually accompanied by a transfer of wealth mm-hmm. from the parents of the groom to the parents mm-hmm. of the bride uh, through the institution of bride wealth or vice versa, right? Parents of yeah. the bride to the groom. Um, yeah. And so what they refer to as family background refers to family's wealth, social status, reputation, and religion. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in addition to that, they also looked at kind of these other qualities that parents wanted in their, like not only children-in-law, but the yeah, yeah. parents of their children-in-law. Oh, and their other in-laws, their, yes. their kid-in-law parents. Exactly. Um, and so, weird. yeah. What a weird relationship that like, must be. be. Like our kids uh, married each other and made a baby together. I guess we're family now, but <laughs> I don't know about that Lou and Stan over there. Right. Uh, but I mean, you know, like, so there's this alliance, there's this ability to create yeah. partnerships with families that are not related to you. Yeah. Hopefully. Um, and so mm-hmm. there's also these personality traits that come Dark. into play. <laughs> the personality traits that come into to play, which are involved in cooperation, right? Because if you're if you have in laws who are really rich but they hate you and they're not cooperative and they don't want to share any of their resources, that's not really improving a parent's fitness, right? Yeah. Right, right, so, right, of course. So they did this study where they gave this survey of like ranking a hierarchy of like all of these traits that parents mm-hmm. value in their in-laws. Mm-hmm. And so we get things like, um, yeah, willingness to cooperate, share resources, um, be family oriented. And the family totally. oriented was in terms of like child rearing support. Yeah, of course. So you would want the in-laws to also be, you know, uh, open to wanting to help with with child rearing yeah. so that that burden wouldn't fall on you uh, solely entirely yeah um, you know kindness understanding cooperative um, but traits like good looks and similar religious and ethnic background were kind of at the lower part sense of humor didn't come up <laughs> love of animals <laughs> right um, and this right. this other part about cooperation and perceived cooperation it's often related to similarity um or this you know this in-group versus out-group thing right so it's like oh someone who's like me will will i'll think they'll be more cooperative so even though this religious and ethnic background were located at the bottom of this hierarchy um there's kind of like uh some of their responses hinted at this desire for for some kind of like perceived similarity um but in this study specifically, the reason that I think it fell to the bottom is because there's a pretty big gender disparity. So right. mothers uh, prioritized uh, religious and ethnic background, whereas uh-huh. fathers did not. Right. Um, and so, you know. What are fathers prioritize? Um, let's see. I think. Does he golf? <laughs> I think um, there, was, there was just about like. I think the the gender differences really fell out with like 
what the mothers prioritized. So another mm. one wasn't like being wealthy wasn't found as a general effect, but it was found to be more important in a mother than in a father-in-law. And this was specifically in a study of um, Chinese families. And so oh, okay. one possible interpretation is that what they're saying in this this paper is that in Chinese families, the wife is frequently in charge of the family's money. Mm, um, mm-hmm. And so they may they may be associating that wealth with the mother-in-law as opposed mm-hmm. to the father-in-law. Um, right. And um, so, yeah, there's a lot of like interesting preferences and the way that children and parents look at their own fitness when determining like a spouse or their child's spouse. Um, And I actually, I think the evolutionary perspective is super interesting. And we see a lot of these things play out in this movie. Right. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the concept of like generativity of their line is Mm -hmm. so important, which Mm -hmm. is the sort of ultimate, you know, evolutionary driver, right? Is how do we keep our genes going? Exactly. And, you know, the, the, you know, as she names like, oh, pursuing your passion is such an American thing and it's selfish. Right? Exactly. In a sense that like if you're focused on your own ambition, you're less focused on the children, you're less focused on my, you know, on on um, making children, you're less yeah. focused on our family and our family's desire and the values that I have worked for years to. Yeah. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So Even I this just cultural like religious idea of like it, of this sort of like in group, out group, kin selection bias kind of stuff. Yeah. And I think that does have to do with um, this cooperativity right and mm-hmm. like looking out for our own specific you know like quote unquote yeah um because that is where the the parents prioritize what they can benefit from like mm-hmm. with a marriage um and also exactly like the propagation of their wealth mm-hmm. yeah i mean one of the things that i found and i'll maybe kind of just end on we've got we've gone so long I'll just end on one thought thing that I thought was really interesting so I tried to do research on like uh, sort of wealth disparities Mm. in relationships particularly large wealth disparities and the main thing that I really found is actually like attraction between socioeconomic classes uh, in terms of marriage and in terms of long-term commitment is actually exceedingly rare so what we do know is that um it's very uncommon for people to hook up between classes. Uh, research shows that most of us feel comfortable dating people at similar educational and economic levels. Yeah, actually, I came across the same thing that that it was hard to study because it just didn't even happen that much. Yeah, and so the tendency to marry within our education level has drastically increased since 1960. To be honest, that statistic I think is m- far more informed by just the number of women who get college educations yeah, now. Yeah. So it was very common for like the husband to have a, a college degree and the wife to not, and now it's much more common for both partners to have the same level mm-hmm. of um, education. Uh, and and so yeah, I mean, like I think it's j- just interesting that like we see this narrative in so many movies, so many books. I mean, I'm a huge Jane Austen fan, and it's like every damn book is about like <laughs> right. he's so wealthy, but I'm just a poor woman who to have no fortune, who inherits <laughs> nothing, and and he and he's like, oh, here I am. I've just got all these wealth. I have ten thousand a year. <laughs> and you know, it's actually quite uncommon, which is I guess why these stories seem. You it's know, all it fantasy. It's all like it's romance. It's all fantasy, yeah. right? It's just like we talk about romance in general, where it's like the idea that like you meet and just like 
yeah, or like out of conflict is born this deep and abiding love. And you're mm-hmm. like, yeah, okay. Most people right. are like, that guy's an asshole. He was right. an asshole to me when we met, and I'm not interested in changing my mind, certainly not dating him. Right. Right. Like, that's how we work, right? So, uh, but movies are liars. Movies are liars. And that's the podcast. <laughs> and that's the podcast. But it's, uh, yeah, very true. It's very true. Y'all, thank you for listening. This was a long one, but yeah, I really liked it. I really liked it, too. I'm not sorry for spending 40 minutes on the synopsis. Honestly, like, I liked talking about it. So it's hopefully such a good like movie. To it. Yeah. I do want to reiterate what we said at the beginning, right? If we got something wrong or if we said something th- that felt harmful, short-sighted, you know, um, just sort of, like, American-centric, you know, that we really missed missed the boat on something, like, Please, like, let us know. Send us a DM. Yes, absolutely. So we talked about a lot of stuff that is not us. So we would love, if it's you that we talked about and you feel like we got it wrong or if you feel like we got it right but you want to, you know, yes and some of what we said, we'd love to hear it. Yeah, definitely. Um, we've uh, got some some comments coming up from folks at the end uh, on a future episode pretty soon. But uh, I've been Dr. J.D. Barton. And I've been Dr. Joanna Witkin. Rate, review, subscribe. Like us, send us messages about this episode about any episode ideas any comments feedback and we'll see you next week with another new episode of real psych bye bye When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.